911, what's the nature of your emergency? Welcome back to the Tactical Living Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Walton. And in today's episode, I wanted to bring in another Facebook Live that we did inside of our Police, Fire, Military, and Families Facebook group with by far one of the most motivating, motivational speakers that we have ever had on. I hope you enjoy it. Where did did you lose me? Like, we're going back to the beginning, yeah? I don't know. Sorry about that, guys. We just got kicked out of the room. I don't think Facebook likes us very much this morning, but... (laughs) That's okay. Mr. David Shaw, thank you so much for being so patient. Technical glitches are never fun. And if we could just backtrack just for a second, and if you could take us through a little bit about your origin story and what it is that you do. Yeah, sure. And by the way, I love the imperfectness of this because that is part of resiliency and burnout, understanding that life is never perfect and never assuming that things are always going to go the way you plan. So rolling with the punches. Um, so yeah, so my so I am an organizational psychology consultant, um, and my focus is helping organizations build meaningful work while preventing burnout. Um, so my origin story, as I as I was saying, but I don't know if I was saying it to myself. Uh, <laughs> um, I actually owned a ice cream parlor in um, Baltimore City. Uh, we were in this very nice um, little bubble within the city, but. Right down the block from us, um, we had we had the projects, some really, I mean, some of the roughest um, uh, streets in, in the entire country. And so that's where I pulled my employees from. They sort of came from those neighborhoods. And I was like this spoiled middle upper class kid. This is my first real leadership, uh, entrepreneurial adventure. And I wasn't expecting the the things that I would be exposed to um, with these with these kid and young adults' lives. Um, we're talking everything about from um, you know um, parents in jail. Um, I remember getting a call from uh, one of my shift supervisors that her father had just been stabbed in jail, and they didn't know what was going on, and they wouldn't tell her anything except that he was in the infirmary. Um, uh, I had, a I had an employee that worked for me for six years. And during that time, his, uh, mother went to prison. Uh, two of his brothers were murdered. Um, and he had an aunt who raised him like her own, um, who died from complications from obesity. We had a, an employee who, um, suffered from incestuous rape for a very long time before she finally stepped up and reported it. Um, these were some of the most impactful and, and terrifying and awful stories ever. Um, and these kids obviously had every excuse um, to be another statistic. Um, but somehow, and I think I accidentally might have had something to do with it, but I was just making up as I went along. And somehow they they found engagement in their work and they found meaning in their work. Um, we linked their work to corporate volunteering and we went and, and did work with the homeless and with uh, people with developmental disabilities and things like that. And they found their sort of purpose through mm-hmm. their work um, and they became very engaged. Um, so that led me down a path of, of uh, researching and working within meaningful work. How do we create work to be meaningful? Um, but from there, there's sort of a continuum from meaningful work to burnout. And what you see is 
that um, the the professions where you have the most um, objective meaning, like people go into these things to make a difference, like first responders, like military, like police. You know, these are these are people who are going into work because they want to make a difference, and they understand very often that they are risking their own lives to do it. Why is it that in those professions, the most meaningful professions, we see the highest rates of burnout? So you see sort of this continuum where somebody has these wide eyes and decides, I'm going to change the world, I'm going to have a huge impact, and then they enter that world of work, whatever it is, and and then very quickly sometimes um, are are become a different person and become so burnt out uh, to the to the point where they they become so disconnected not just from their work but from their life outside of work as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super important to point out. And before we go forward, I, I'm just super curious, David, if you can talk a little bit about what that culture shock must have been like when you did yeah. go into like this underdeveloped area based on how different it was from your own upbringing. Yeah, it was it was incredibly shocking and um and terrifying but the more i learned about my crew members lives um the closer we became the more i learned how different we were the more i learned how similar we were in in the same aspects and mm-hmm. how much we all wanted the same things from life um and i was shocked you know coming from the haves to see what the have nots have to deal with they wanted the same things out of life but didn't have the same resources or even ability to start to think bigger um Mm -hmm. i remember getting into an argument with this poor 16 year old who told me you know i want to live the modest life i want to um be just like my aunt and stay in the projects and have a couple kids i'm like you want to stay in the projects I said, that's inappropriate. You know, and she said, no, what do you mean? It's not all about the money. You always tell me that. I'm like, it's not all about the money, but it is about being self-sufficient and wanting to grow and develop, you know? So, but, but she couldn't even get her mind there at first, you know, like what is the possibility? Because when these kids would see themselves on the news, you know, and, and when they would go to school and when they were at home, nobody believed in them. You know, mm-hmm. nobody did. They were just statistics and they would see their own relatives, their own friends, their own parents, siblings being shot down, um, you know, getting um, getting locked away in prison for, for drugs and, and other violations, some serious violations. And, and so, it, you know, the mindset itself wasn't even there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but that's how, I mean, we connected over those things as well. And a, a huge piece was that corporate volunteering piece. The fact that I'm like, I recognize that they, that they were seeing themselves as less than. So w- we wanted to explore who could they help, you yeah. know, where could they build their confidence, helping other people who were worse off than them or, or in, in, you know, had different, um, issues. 
Yeah, that, and that's really admirable. Clint and I talk a lot about, there's a book, it's called The Laws of Human Nature. And once he and I read that book, it really helped us to conceptualize the fact that we truly only know what we know. Yeah. And if somebody has been raised and conditioned in an environment like that, they don't know to know anything different. And I loved how you said going from the haves to the have-nots in order to gain that type of exposure. Um, right. I think it's super important. Clint and I have had the opportunity to travel to a lot of third world countries where we absolutely get to embody what that's like and um, going into the townships of South Africa and things like that. And it, I think it's super important, especially as Americans, for us to get those types of exposure and to stop and understand that we can actually get that in, in our homeland. Yeah. Um, it, it takes a really strong-willed person, especially growing up from a middle to high-class family like you did. So that's amazing. So can you talk a little bit about what it is that you do when you go into these companies to, to try to help to, you know, allow them to get over that burnout? Sure. So my focus on burnout, my focus is, is taking the leadership and culture aspect of that. Um, and what can we tweak about leadership and culture? So um, there's a lot on burnout um, that speaks about resiliency. And um, we, we could even talk about that today because there are a lot of tricks to become more resilient to overcome burnout. However, the fact that the conversation around burnout is so often all about resiliency, it kind of seems like victim shaming or victim blaming, you know, because we're telling you, oh, yeah, you need to change your personality. You need to be a stronger person to put up with the crap that we're throwing your way as an organization. Mm -hmm. You know, instead of talking to the organization and organizational leadership and saying, here's what's happening here are the tweaks that you can that that you can implement to seriously decrease burnout and increase meaningfulness at work and and get all the great stuff that comes with that so from that top down perspective so when we look at burnout there's three main pieces there's emotional exhaustion depersonalization and personal accomplishment so what emotional exhaustion is and this is often misunderstood people think it's Get being physically and emotionally exhausted at work from the work. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not. What emotional exhaustion is, is it's linked to all of the stuff that gets between you and your work. And this is really mm -hmm. key to what links meaningful work with, um, with burnout. Because you go in to do a job. You go in to protect people, right? Or, or, you know, to, to, from, from whatever it is within the military, police, fire, you're going in to save lives and protect people. Um, and then you are faced with this crazy bureaucracy that just stands in your way of doing the job that you know you need to do. You are there to do it and you would do it for a dollar an hour if they would give you the opportunity because you are there to change the world. There are easier things to get into, you know, um, yeah. and, and have and have a little bit less of an impact and make more money. But people watching this have gotten into these professions because they want to make a difference. And so that emotional exhaustion is from everything where your employer gets in your way. It's from the bureaucracy and unnecessary interpersonal conflicts within the organization that stand in your way of doing the job, completing the mission that you have committed to do. Hmm. Depersonalization is the piece where we go in and we, start, we stop seeing 
um, the people in front of us as individuals. And this sort of comes from that emotional exhaustion piece because our hands are tied behind our back. And so to protect ourselves, to protect ourselves psychologically, what we do is we start depersonalizing. So in nursing, you see Miss So-and-so become room eight, right? Mm -hmm. Suddenly Miss So-and-so isn't Miss So-and-so anymore. And so we start depersonalizing. And within... Um, um, police officers are, are suffer maybe the highest in depersonalization compared to other professions. Um, and that's because not only do you have this emotional exhaustion, but there are people out there that would like to kill you. You know, I mean, it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so you have to, you have to make that separation. And then when you have everybody coming up against you and the media talking about you, like you're the bad guy, that's really damaging for not only depersonalization, because now it's like everybody is the other because you need to protect your psyche, right? Yeah. But also the last part, personal accomplishment. Now you are doing this job because you joined this to be a hero and people are treating you like a villain. Mm. And it is absolutely horrible because personal accomplishment is that piece where we put in a certain amount into our job. And there's like this... I'll put this in and then you come back with this. So I'll put in the effort and you you give me the pay and the benefits, right? That's like, mm -hmm. that's the transactional occurrence that's in your contract. But anybody worth their salt in any profession and specifically in professions where people go into them because they're so meaningful, you are going to go above and beyond the job description. You want to make a change in the world. You want to have an impact. And so you go above and beyond. And then one day you sit back and you start making the calculation in your mind, even though you martyred yourself by going above and beyond, you start making the calculation. You're like, wait, this doesn't add up, hmm. right? So your rewards don't equal your, um, your efforts. Um, and then when you add on, especially for that police officer piece, you add on that, that piece where people are, you know, villainizing you for the work that you're doing. Um, that could be extremely damaging and cause a ton of, of burnout. So what can organizations do with that piece? They need to show you gratitude. Your bosses need to show you gratitude. The culture, it needs to be baked into the culture because you are saving lives every single day in the military, in, pol in police work, in, in fire and rescue. You are saving lives every single day but it is so easy to turn on the news and see how, you know, um, how the, the military is awful, how police are awful. You know, I think firefighters are a little protective of this, but, you know, like it's so easy to to feel like you are doing something wrong, like you're the bad guy yeah. instead of instead of um, noticing and somebody painting those connections what, what, you know, who did you save today? What kind of positive impact did you have on your community today? So any way that the organization can paint that picture for you and connect the dots um, is extremely powerful in overcoming and preventing burnout. Man, 
my mind is really fucking blown right now, David. Like, I can't <laughs> wait to go back and actually dissect all of those three points that you just laid out because yeah. it, it makes perfect sense. I do a lot of studies in neurolinguistic programming, and for for yeah. you to outline it in that way, um, I, I think that's incredible. And we have a question here. It says, "How have you seen the burnout from work carry over into the home life?" Yeah, that it does carry over. So meaningfulness is defined as completeness or wholeness, right? So even before you get to burnout, there is an aspect of the dark side of meaningful work, as it's called in the research, right? The dark side of meaningful work. So even without burnout, you hit, you hit a point when you are in very meaningful work or you find a lot of meaning in your work, uh, you typically will have very high boundary inhibition. In other words, you you do not set up boundaries very well, right? You inhibit your boundaries. You don't set them up very well. And so um, your work becomes every aspect of your life. You are, you are defined by your work. So now, just to pause that and yeah. to put it into real life perspective. So what you're talking about is a first responder or a military service member, they go home and they don't shut off that fucking phone and work calls yes. them and they're just like on the drop of a dime because it's work, work, work nonstop and they don't clock out. Are we on the same page with that? Yes, absolutely. And it's and it's complicated, especially in these professions, because military for sure. I don't know if you're allowed to turn off your phone. Mm-hmm. Anytime you are allowed to turn off your phone, you should be turning off your phone though. What, what we find is that this boundary inhibition, when there are no boundaries set up, and this happens with people who have, who find a lot of meaning and have high work devotion, we call it, right? So what, what happens when, when we don't put up these boundaries is we see this very stark work relationship conflict. And so, um, what we see is if your spouse or significant other or friends or whoever is outside of work, if they find the same meaning in your work, if you both agree that you are making a difference by going to work every day and understand and agree on the impact that you're having, then, then things will be okay. But if there is a disagreement, if you know you are changing the world, you are protecting America, you are protecting the citizens, right? And your spouse at home is like, can't you get another job? Or really, are you really making that much of an impact sitting on a base, wherever? Then you're in for a lot of trouble at home. But in terms of burnout, going all the way to burnout, what you see is that burnout doesn't stay compartmentalized, right? Burnout can lead to high levels of of anxiety and depression and depersonalization everywhere, um, where you start disassociating even sometimes. And that, that will affect you everywhere because as much as we like to think that you can clock out of work and clock into life and whatever, right? It's all one, but you need to figure out how to set up boundaries where they're appropriate and to integrate where it's appropriate. Yeah, that's beautiful, David. And I know you had touched on the fact that there are a few different tactics that, that we all could use in order to remedy this. And I think to answer it, there's a, a great, a, a great comment here. And it says, as chief of police, it's hard for me to turn off my phone because I always worry about my men and women um, at work when I'm not at work. It's the hardest part for me to do. So what advice would you give to him or anybody in that situation to where it's just not realistic to actually shut off that phone? How do you create those boundaries still? You know, we used to have were those beepers, 
Do police officers have something <laughs> along those lines? Because you, you could turn off your cell phone and you knew if it was a real emergency, somebody would beep you, right? Doctors to this day, I think some still use some sort of system like that, right? Um, you need to trust in your people and you need to have the right lieutenants, either figuratively or literally <laughs> underneath mm-hmm. you um, that you can trust. And a lot of this, a lot of this, um, you know, is just typical management techniques of being able to delegate and trust. You know, when lives are on the line, everything becomes so much more serious. But you have to protect yourself um, in addition to all of your men and women out there. And you have to you have to protect your men and women out there from more than just the bad guys on the street. You have to protect them from themselves. And if they don't see you having any work-life balance, if they don't see you setting up any boundaries, then they aren't going to either. Mm, that's and, a great point. Because if, if you can have them get a hold of you anytime that they want to, they're going to act in kind, right? And it's going to be exactly the same vicious cycle. So right. that, that's an awesome point. Yeah, as a chief, you are setting, you are setting that that culture. You know, you are you are setting the culture and people are going to follow suit. Yeah. And, and one thing that I've learned um, and Clint's actually adopted this, too, is I know that I don't even know where you can buy a pager nowadays. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that there, there is somewhere that you can. But one thing that Clint and I have adopted is we actually time block our time away from our phones. And we have very deliberate times during the night when we get away from the blue gamma rays altogether. Um, so for us, we set like a one hour time block to where we'll take our phone and we'll put it somewhere out of sight completely because that fight or flight response is constantly there where we just like tap the phone just to see what has happened on it. So that, that's a great point to, to bring up as something that you can do is actually test yourself and see if you could do it for 30 minutes and then extend it to an hour if you can. And that can be time when you're with your family or you're, you're just doing things and allowing yourself that, that own space to be able to be actually clocked out, but still be able to check in because, Chances are that if you're not at work, there's not too, too much that could have happened within the span of an hour. Um, right. Hopefully it has happened, but realistically, it's not going to happen all of the time. Right. And, and, you know, we don't, we typically don't have a single motivation when we do things. You know, when you're, when you are a leader, a chief of police, something, something of that nature, and you always are in the work, you, well, when you go to work, you have the authority, you have control you know, to an extent, you know, when you're at home, you might not have those things. And so we really need to be honest with ourselves as well. What, what cocktail of motivations are there when we're so tuned into work? You know, sometimes when I'm so tuned into my work and I don't get off of the computer, I don't stop my work, you know, um, yes, the motivation is that, you know, I love my work. I've got a mission of helping organizations redefine what work is for people, right? And and I'm passionate about that. But maybe a little bit of it also is that as soon as I stop with my glamorous consulting and speaking job, I'm changing poopy diapers and talking to my wife about how her day as a school teacher was and whatever. Mm. Not that I don't love all of that, but there's this, there might be this element of these other motivations that are interacting, um, yeah, not just a, the threat a, that something's going to happen. On a subconscious level, too, would we rather be, you know, standing in front of the limelights or changing poopy diapers? Right, you know? exactly. So that's an amazing point. Um, before we wrap this up, David, just because 
I'm so intrigued with the information that you do have to provide. Are, are there maybe one more great point or suggestion that you could give to some of the people listening to this to help to really distinguish that fine line between work and home? Yeah, so I think I think if there was one final point, it would be this. We have this spam filter in our head, right? It's like this this crazy archaic spam filter where 95% of our thinking happens non-consciously. So we have to sort of filter out anything that we don't see as relevant in every occupation, but especially as a first responder, military, you are dealing with negativity all the time. You are looking for the person who might have the gun. You are looking for the possible threats, right? You are a problem finder before all else in order that you can be a problem solver, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we go about it within our work and at home, et cetera, we've spent all of our time at work finding problems, looking for issues, right? And so we forget to see the positive. And so in order to change our own mindset, we need to recalibrate that spam filter. You need to reteach yourself to see the positive things in life. You need to see, you need to train yourself to see these things at work, especially if you're in a leadership position because how often are we are we, you know, tearing people up versus, you know, building them up. You know, and you need to be able to do it at home as well. And so, and so the way to do that is to, there's a bunch of ways. What I do with my family, every night we do our favorite three. We, we look back at three of our favorite um, uh, events from the day. And some days that's really, really difficult. Those are the most important days because then we start looking for them. And, you know, my family is sort of split down the middle. We've got a whole bunch of optimists and then a whole bunch of what my wife insists we call realists, right? <laughs> and so- and so it's very helpful, especially for those realists, to sort of focus on the positive because now they're looking for it all the time. Mm -hmm. And then we can start dragging ourselves up. And that does build resiliency that we're able to see that as dark as things can get sometimes, the day is also filled with light. And that will help you survive and keep in mind why you are doing what you are doing and to see the people that you are helping instead of magnifying all of the negativity that's out there. Hmm, I love that. Um, my husband and I, we actually started this about two years ago where we send one another notes of appreciation and gratitude, awesome. something very deliberate that we're thankful for from the day prior. So this morning, for example, I was very thankful to my husband because he had to go out of his way to pick up the mail from, we, we live at, out in the middle of nowhere in our mailboxes and <laughs> like someplace called the country store. And so it's a pain <laughs> in the ass on a Monday, like he had to stop there to get the mail. So I deliberately thanked him for that specific act. And what that does is throughout each day, we're constantly just trying to see like, what little thing did that person, it doesn't always have to be my husband, but what did somebody do for me that I can yeah. bring acknowledgement to in a very deliberate way? Because we can say thank you to, to somebody for something. But when we say, hey, David, I'm so appreciative for you to come on and to share time and space with me this morning. It means a lot more than just a simple, like spitting out those two words, right? Right. Right. I, I love that. I'm going to tell my wife to start doing it right away. Start writing me a note every day. I don't know yes. that I'm going to, but she's... You she, tell her, she's David. Gonna... Let me know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. So let's check in with the comments here. So um, there are times when you do know or feel that you are doing a great job, yet your spouse doesn't believe that. Not that they flat out disagree, but they may not simply understand the benefit that you do. 
perhaps from lack of experience or the challenge of communicating the actual reality. Any suggestions for spouses to deal with saving the world, even though they may not see that is ha- that it is happening? Yeah, I think so. Depending on where this person's coming from, you know, I've got friends at the NSA. They can't do anything to show their, <laughs> their spouse what they do. Um, but, uh, but depending on where you're coming from, you know, workplaces should involve family, you know, in appreciation type things and annual parties and things like that so that they can really highlight um, and not just have hors d'oeuvres together, but really highlight what it is that they do. Um, but I think for something like that, if your spouse or significant other is just not able to really connect with it, um, to offer to have a conversation and sometimes to have a conversation with a third party person, like you would be a great resource for them with that. Somebody who does some coaching and some, and some or coaching or therapy or whatnot. Sometimes, you know, with burnout, it's recognized by the World Health Organization. You know, it's, it's like an actual like disease now, right? So um, what that means is that you, and I love that this is a theme of, of this show in general, you know, that, that um, it's okay to ask for help, you know, and, and there, there shouldn't be stigma around those things. So if there is a disconnect about how you view, um, how the two of you view your work, um, I think that I think that that's important to seek help if if you think that that would um, get you there, um, and also to show support and encouragement and interest in what your significant other does as well, mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of times uh, we all view ourselves as the heroes. You guys are. I'm not taking that away from you. I'm a consultant. It's not the same thing. Um, but we look at our spouse and we're like, oh yeah, yeah, you know. Like I'm getting on stages in front of people and she goes and teaches at school. You know, I need to sometimes remind myself, you know, that what she does is super friggin' impactful, you know, and that I need to be showing interest. I can't just hit her right when she comes in. You won't believe what I did today. You can't believe the impact that I'm having. I just saved the world from something I can't tell you anything about. But Talk to your significant other about the impact that they're having as well. And people tend to reciprocate. That's uh, human nature. Yeah. The law of reciprocity is a big deal, right? So yeah. by by doing that, it's very likely that without even asking that your significant other would reciprocate in the same way. So those are awesome points. And David, I, I'm so grateful for this show. And I'm going to pick your brain a little bit when we hop off of here because cool. I've been so enlightened by, by this conversation. Um, is there a way that anybody can contact you directly if they wanted to? Yeah. So, um, my website is www.illuminatepmc for illuminate performance management consultants.com. Um, I made it easier because that's not easy. So davidshar.com, S H A R, davidshar.com. Um, and I'm also extreme, as you know now, extremely active on LinkedIn, um, talking about a lot of these types of things, leadership, culture, meaningful work, burnout, um, and diversity and inclusion is another passion of mine. So um, definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, we can we can uh, continue the conversation there. Beautiful. David, thank you so much cool. for sharing thank time you. with us this morning. Thank you. Thank, thank everybody for uh, tuning in. Thank you.